0: Sarah Bamford Seidelman was my very first guest on this podcast back when I started out. And she's just one of those people who inspires me. She helps people to tap into their creativity, true stories, and face death and grapple with the deeper mysteries of life. Well, not so long ago, Sarah faced those lessons herself in a really personal way when her mother passed away. So I wanted to invite Sarah on to talk about her experience of the connection between creativity and mourning. You're listening to Courageous Wordsmith, episode 57. This podcast presents conversation with and for real-life creatives on how we find and keep walking our unique paths. I'm your host, Amy Halberg. Welcome to my world. Today I'm talking with Sarah Bamford Seidelman on how she has experienced the very real connections between creativity and mourning. So today I have Sarah Seidelman with me and I'm super excited to have you back on the podcast, Sarah. Um, I've been a, just a fan of all the creative things you've done for quite a while and I uh, and I wanted to talk about that because you have such a juxtaposition between death and creativity in your work and you make it accessible for people. And I think that's kind of an important thing for us to talk about.
1: Thank you, Amy, I'm super excited to be here and I'm glad you want to talk about death because most people don't want to talk about it. It's one of those, as Martha Beck calls it in her new book, The Way of Integrity, one of those do not mention zones
0: <laughs> right. often. Right. And yet today, as we record this, it's the day after the one year anniversary of George Floyd's murder. And we're coming off of COVID. It's kind of hard not to talk about death. It kind of feels like.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think this has been a year of reckoning for a lot of things, concepts, ideas. It was time for them to die. Um, And it was time for a lot of good things have been reborn. I mean, like I was just at Target and I saw... There were like five volumes of poetry in the Target shopping area. It might have even been more than that, but I was shocked. And to me, that's just amazing, like how much beautiful artwork has been created in this last year, that poetry is kind of having this revitalization, which to me is wonderful. It's a good sign.
0: (laughs) You know, I always think about, so I was a German major, which means I read a lot of German poetry, like I was a literature major and there was a poem that i've always remembered that talks about how facts and figures aren't the thing that counts anymore that's when love can come back to the fore i mean it's a translation but it's it's that like when we're so up in our head with all the facts and figures there's no room for poetry yeah and i think poetry is really what
1: helps us find our way back to ourselves and we're really feeling lost at sea and really feeling um i know for myself anyway like mary oliver has been one who it's like her words just kind of are that balm for the soul you know when you're feeling confused and afraid maybe, like I think all of us were, especially at the beginning of COVID before we knew what it all meant. Um, And maybe some of us fear Mm -hmm. lasting all the way through it, even until now, you know, there's still a lot of that going on.
0: You mentioned Mary Oliver, and that was a poem somebody actually, when I was at the end of my teaching career, and my career was dying, but I did not want to admit it. And somebody handed me the journey, the, the Mary Oliver poem, and she said, read this. And it's basically the one life you can save, which is not all the other people around you, but please save yourself because you're here for a reason and you have a thing to do on this planet and this isn't it.
1: And it's your job to figure that out. Like nobody can do it for you and you can't really save anybody else until you figure out your community. You can't save anybody else anyway, but you can't really help anybody else until you, Mm -hmm. yeah, help yourself.
0: One of the things I love about your work is how playful it is. I mean, you delve into some pretty deep topics, but it's also very playful. So one of your projects that you have is these cards. Do you want to talk about how you created them? Because I don't think you even meant to create them. They just kind of almost came out of, what, play or what? Yes.
1: They really did. Well, they came out of this project called, it was a 100 day project. And for those of you who don't know what those are, you can look it up 100dayproject.org or just Google it. You'll find information about it. But it was this idea that a Yale professor created this assignment for students years ago where he just said, for 100 days, do one creative act, do it every day for 100 days, make it short, make it somewhat challenging and interesting, uh, but do it. And um, I thought that was really, I'd watched some other people do these projects and finally I committed to do one. And mine was, you want to pick something that's really juicy and fun for you because 100 days is a long time. It's like a third of the year. <laughs> for those of you who are math specialists yeah. <laughs> out there. And um, so I wanted to, I had been missing, spending time with my spirit animal, Alice. So there's this, I have this, I have a fixed. She's got a framed frame portrait right on my desk alice and i hadn't i've just been so busy that i hadn't spent time with her so i thought well i'll visit her every day and receive a message that can be shared with the public you know
0: a helpful spiritual message and to just cut in and say alice is an elephant yes alice is a spirit an elephant in spirit form
1: so she was like that sounds wonderful when i asked her of course i wasn't going to like put it on i was just of course i asked if she would like to do that And so that's what I did. And so every day I would visit her by listening to a drumming track. For those of you who are shamanic fans, you might know that when you would listen to a drum with a specific type of beat, maybe I'll give a little sample. You kind of, alter your consciousness and you can access these spiritual realms where these loving and compassionate beings dwell. And so anyway, I went every day to visit Alice, which was wonderful. And she shared a little bit of wisdom that, that I could pass on to people. And I've just created a piece of art using public domain art to share that. So I was thinking, well, maybe we should, shall we, shall we draw a card now? Well, let me, I'll show a few of the images. So these are all like public domain. I mean, I'm, I wasn't an artist creating these, but I was just, um using public domain art this is the back side of a card to create these cards that kind of signified somehow the image sort of reflected what alice was saying okay i'm gonna draw a card okay so everybody who's listening set your intention that the perfect card is going to come up for you and for me and for amy and here we go So the card that's drawn is this beautiful bouquet of vintage flowers that have been like amazingly illustrated in deep, beautiful colors of burgundy and blue and pink. And the, the message is wisdom brings peace. And here's Alice's words. (laughs) How can you tell the difference between the rubbish products of your overworked mind and divine guidance? The first will often feel mildly manic, unsure of itself and sketchy as hell the latter will always bring peace and not infrequently deep belly laughter and then alice's prompt is where in life do you need divine guidance right now have you asked for it she's always reminding me that like we have to ask if you want help or we want wisdom we better ask and then the, pro- the prayer is dear god please guide me in everything i do and say so what happened was I started posting these and you know, people really enjoyed them. And I kept getting comments. And one weekend I went to run a workshop and I didn't post anything that weekend. And somebody messaged me in a panic on Saturday. was like, where's Alice's message. I really need it today. And I was like, Oh, we'll get right on that on Monday. But (laughs) and I just didn't realize that people were really enjoying them and starting to kind of rely or look to Alice for these messages. And so, Um, eventually I decided to take some of those images and create a deck of cards. And then I hatched it into a 365 day book where we took Alice's message for the day. But then I also reflected on it in my human,
0: you know, with my own human foibles and things like that. I think that's such a good point because... (sighs) It's a tripwire, right? You you talk to spiritual people, and there's almost this pressure to like be not human anymore and not own the the humanity of who you are, and it it's kind of dangerous because the whole point is to access your humanity.
1: Yes, I think those of us who are in the healing, coaching, you know, self-helpy sort of genre of jobs, it's like. It can be a real trap to be like, oh, I'm light and shiny all the time. Like we have to be really aware. I've learned I need to be aware of my shadow and where it wants to, you know, where it's coming out to play and yeah. And it's so much more fun when we're like honest and, and much funnier also like, oh my gosh, like sometimes I snap pictures of my messy house to just be like, yeah, uh, you know, this is the, this is the evidence of a creative life. Sometimes it doesn't look so
0: good. <laughs> Well, and a lot of us, those of us who are creatives and life coachy people, um, we, we came up in the world as perfectionists. We were really good students, right? Like, and, and good students are trained to showcase their perfection. It's a lot funnier when you can laugh at it, but it's not funny until you get to that place.
1: It's absolutely true. I have a great story about perfectionism. Would you like to hear it? Um, oh, yeah, definitely. I was just in Peru doing a lot of sacred plant medicine ceremonies, um, with a shaman who's a dear friend there. Uh, and one of the nights that I went to this medicine ceremony, my intention was to explore what it's like to be free from perfectionism because, you know, I just know perfectionism dogs me. It keeps from me from sharing what I'm really thinking. It keeps me from like publishing things, uh, lots of stuff. I mean, I, I, pretty courageous but there's that desire that to be perfect is really still there so what does it feel like to be free from perfectionism so the night starts out it's pitch dark um and you know the medicine the the medicine that was being served that night was ayahuasca so it was served and i said boy give me a small amount so that i can i was supposed to be her assistant that night because i just want to be able to like stand up and also help people (laughs) she was like no problem Well, on ayahuasca <laughs> yeah, on ayahuasca right because it makes you feel for those of you who are, don't know anything about it it makes you feel very dizzy and yeah it can be quite incapacitating um anyway so the evening starts and she comes over to me and she's like sarah she's like uh can you can you play a song for us you know and it's pitch dark and i've got my ukulele and i'm like oh yes i'd be happy to but can i use your headlamp because i need the this little red light because you don't want to put bright lights on when people are in a ceremony. And anyway, she couldn't, I couldn't use the light cause she had, so I was like, okay, I'm gonna try to do this in the dark. And it was such a disaster. Like I started to play, cause I'd play this song a thousand times. I mean, I know it, like I know it, but I couldn't get my fingers to coordinate. Finally, I just put the whole ukulele down and I finished acapella and I was like, oh my gosh, that was horrible, but whatever, moving on. The next thing she's like, Sarita, can you help me? There's this, there's a guy over there who needs assistance. I'm like, no problem. I sort of stagger over to this person and I'm like blowing uh, tobacco smoke on him, doing, you know, really trying, praying for him, helping, you know, just doing everything I can think of to assist him. And then I'm like, oh, I should check and just see how he's doing. I don't want to startle him. So I'm gently searching in the dark for his shoulder just to kind of gently nudge him and ask him how things are going. And I realize there's nobody there. I have been healing a <laughs> pile of blankets for like the last 10 minutes. And Luzma <gasps> nice. said it was hilarious because she said at the time I looked up and saw, you know, that she, that I he was at the door waiting for me to assist him to go outside. I was like, oh, I haven't helped her at all. This is so terrible. And I was like, I'm gonna sing a song now. I, I've got one. And I started, I forget the ukulele. I knew I couldn't do that. So I just started my acapella song. I was like, this is so great. It's going so well. And all of a sudden, the other assistant comes up to me and he's like, Sarita, please stop singing. Lusma is trying to sing. Like the shaman is trying to sing and you are I'm basically singing over the shaman is what I'm doing. I mean, the most horrifying accident that I could ever imagine anybody doing. Like if I saw somebody do that, I would just be so embarrassed <laughs> for them. Oops. Ah! It was so off and we laughed so hard about, but this is like, and it was such a kind of, that's the way the spirits teach you, you know, like. That's what it's like to be free from perfectionism. Because the whole night I just sort of laughed and went like, oh
0: boy, Uh you know. Do you mind if I contrast with another story I've heard you tell where the timing was perfect? Yes, please. So here's an interesting thing. When it doesn't matter, the universe has this great sense of humor and it plays with us and it does these things and it teaches us, right? But I also know you lost your mom this past year. Yes. And everything was absolutely perfectly timed the music everything all came together perfectly because that was what was required at that moment at the edge of the veil and i would love to hear you talk about that if you'd be willing
1: yes absolutely So for probably like the last four or five years, I had been drawn to studying death and dying. And I thought it was just kind of part of my path because, you know, when I was younger, I had been diagnosed with malignant melanoma. I'd faced my own death, you know, pretty young. Um, How old? uh, When I was 19. Wow. So... I had that experience and found it really life altering. Um, and then I was a pathologist, so for years I did autopsies. Um, one of my most uh, probably biggest turning points in medical school was taking care of a patient who was dying and realizing that we really didn't have the tools to help them <laughs> like from a, I think it, from a spiritual soul standpoint. At the time, I couldn't have articulated that, but I knew something was like terribly wrong because something was missing from what we were offering this woman and she died, and then it was like, it was just a terrible feeling. So anyway, I felt really drawn to studying death and dying and went to some wonderful, like got, went to a death doula training, you know, uh, and did all, it just went to many, in a death and dying retreat of uh, that was shamanically inclined. Anyway, created a workshop because I thought, this is so beautiful when we face our death, it helps us to live bigger. Um, and I knew that from my own life when I had been diagnosed with melanoma, it strangely and ironically led to a very joyful year that followed because I stopped studying so much. I asked myself like, well, if I'm not going to be here in a couple years, like, what do I really want to do? And I stopped studying so much. And I started like listening to more Rick Astley and dancing and going out. And I joined like the Gilbert and Sullivan opera crew in Scotland, where I was living at the time. I mean, I just started having more fun because I was like, well, hell, I mean, like if I'm going to die, like, you know, might as well go out, with a bang, you know? It's a kind of gallows humor almost. A little bit, yeah, because it was like, well, uh, that just seemed like my best idea. So anyway, and then, so as I was doing all this training, my mom suddenly got diagnosed with um, a large sort of lung tumor. I remember at the time, you know, as these things are, it's just very shocking and very upsetting and, um, and, she ended up getting this amazing new medicine called Keytruda, which is this new technology that we have. There's a wonderful movie, Google it. It's a wonderful documentary of the creation of this drug uh, and dogged perseverance. It's amazing, the doctor who's behind that. And she uh, lived for two years, um, which because initially I think when we saw that tumor, it's like, I didn't think she probably had three months to live knowing like the old kinds of medicines we used to have, you know, but this new medicine, which basically works with our immune system to take the breaks off our own immune system and helps us to heal ourselves, right. worked for a while, right. quite a while. Um, but I got to uh, walk with my mom as she as she faced her own mortality and then as she, um, eventually, you know, decided to stop doing treatment and enter hospice. And then ultimately I got the experience of sitting with her as she was dying. Um, and today I was just, it's so funny that we're on this podcast today because I was just, I drove my daughter to the, the airport at 5 a.m and somehow my mom i was like thinking oh my gosh my mom would be so proud of our my kids right now and things that they're doing and this hymn that that i associate with her you know kind of popped into my head and probably like three weeks before she died we were sitting on her couch like looking out out the window and it was fall and these amazing like it was this maple tree with these like coral color leaves and the sun was just beaming and these leaves were like drifting off the trees and it was just kind of surreal and she was going through this box of photos and telling me also what she would like for her funeral because at this point she was just at this place where she decided to enter hospice which was a real gift for her and and for all of us because once she did that um she really began to enjoy life again interestingly and um so she said, well, this, there's this hymn, that's my favorite hymn. And, and I was like, Oh, what is that? And then she was like showing it to me and I was like, I think I know it. And she's like, Alexa play, you know, uh, Oh God, beyond all praising, you know? And of course Alexa was just like, Oh, you know, and this wonderful hymn came on and I'm not a super, I grew up in the Episcopal church, but like hymns have never been my jam. But as they listen to the words like in that moment like watching though we were sitting together just watching these leaves fall from the trees and it's just like the mo- it was the most stunning like i can't even barely talk about it because it was just like one of those moments that was just so precious and you realize how fortunate you are and how blessed you are just to be alive and um i can't i can't put words to it but um that song i'm so grateful she told me that because it's become like this anchor into that grief and like not grief in a bad way like grief in the most like this morning i was sitting in my office i was like sobbing and like just crying but it was just pure joy just pure joy because you know i had a mother who loved me and i feel her all around me all the time and um that that hymn, even if you're not a Christian or anything like that, but it's just this song about like life. There's so many blessings and there's so many challenges, but we, we're kind of willing to have this joyful duty of living. (laughs) It's kind of a funny song. I mean, it's, but it's like, things may be bad or they may be good, but in any case, it's a blessing because we're here and we're alive and like, And we're grateful for that and you can always find something to be grateful about so that was probably like three or four weeks before she died and as she grew closer to death as people do they they finally kind of withdraw so she probably stopped talking like maybe two days before she died and just got like it just looked like she was sleeping you know And I remember we were just kind of exhausted. My dad and my sister and I were just trading places and alarms were going off constantly because we were trying to give her medicine and all these things. And I went down to take a nap at like 10 in the morning in the basement and my dad came down like maybe a half an hour later and he said, I think her breathing's really slowing down. You might want to come upstairs. And so I came upstairs and like, I got out my ukulele. Because one of the things I learned, I hope this podcast isn't too hard for people to hear because this was like me bawling my eyes out. But I, I learned about like one of the old traditions in many cultures is to sing people home. You know, this idea that music can carry us. <laughs> and I am not a perfect ukulele player, as we just learned from that story. But also, like I'm just not. But I had these songs that I've been learning and. It was just so beautiful, like, again, sitting with her and just playing this music and watching. I pretty much watched, I played the music, and then probably five, ten minutes before she died, my sister, knock, knock, walks in the door. My dad walked. I mean, we're all just there. And um, my mom always made sure everybody was included. We laughed because, of course, she would wait until my sister was there. And uh, we just <laughs> sat and watched, like... Her, it's hard to even explain, but watched her life force just kind of recede from her body. It was almost like it was leaving from her feet all the way up to her head. And then it was so natural. It was like watching babies be born in reverse. You know, it was kind of that same thing. You know, it just, yeah. um, just a natural process.
0: I think if somebody has never been present for death, you know, like never been, it's it's a scary thing and we don't want to do it. Yes. You know, it's that yay, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but when you're there when you're that close to it there's so many moments like that that are just so present so what Sacred. so dialed in i i think that we in this culture have pushed death so far away and yet there are things that happen right around somebody's death that unlock little pieces of the universe you know
1: yes and teach other people about life and death and um we a friend of mine and i started a death cafe up in our city in duluth and um i'll never forget the first meeting like we just randomly put it at a cafe downtown i thought well who's going to show up at like two in the afternoon we might get a couple people we had like 23 people show up and i wish we would have recorded it because the stories that got told that day were so incredible and that every single person that had had witnessed a death had like a profound teaching to share with everybody it was absolutely amazing and so I agree and I think um that's one of the things I learned in the death doula training and other things is like the beauty of taking these things back into our homes and back into our hands like um the traditions of just even like preparing the body washing the body after a person has died like i i can still remember washing my mom's body and like and i was so grateful that i had the permission and the confidence to do that like um we had a wonderful hospice person that was there with us as well but i had had practice doing that through this training i had done and it was so special um or doing home funerals that was another thing we did After I came back from my death doula training with my my daughter who I brought to the airport She brought me home from the airport. And I told her I said Catherine, when I die I'm really excited because I would like you to have a home funeral for me It's so cool Like you just put the body in the living room and I was telling her all about it and like you can put flowers on it And it's just like amazing and people could play the guitar and like have a potluck and she listens to me And she just without skipping a beat. She's like that's not happening mom (laughs) Not in a million years you're going in a cooler like everybody else, which is just like hilarious. Honestly, I don't care what, you know, obviously it's whatever they want to do, but with my mom, we had a home funeral and it was COVID. So, but I had known, like, I didn't know it was even legal to do that. So in the state of Minnesota, you can take your loved one home. If they're not no. already home, you can have them brought to your home from the hospital. And if it's warm and summery, you know, you can get blocks of dry ice to put beneath the body to preserve it, but, um And we did do that but that was probably the most special thing i can't even explain it like how many times have you gone to a funeral and seen the person there with like all this strange makeup on and this strange shiny case that feels so foreign and bizarre and like i don't know maybe scary for kids whereas having you know your grandmother just lying in a bed where she always has been you know my mom wore this beautiful like kimono and i remember my friend susie was there we were trying to figure out what to do we like fixed her hair and then i was like susie i'm not good at makeup like you're good at makeup and she's like i'll come in i'll help you i'm like great so i was like here's all her makeup and we were just looking at she goes girls i think the rule is less is more here less is more we just put a little bit of blush on my mom and a little bit of lipstick and this sounds really strange but she looked so beautiful and then we covered her body with all these flowers from her own garden and she looked like this amazing goddess. I mean, I still have pictures which I haven't shared ever because I just feel like, I don't know how my dad would feel about that, but anyway, they mean a lot to me. So yeah, taking these things back into our homes, I think helps us and helps our kids. It helps people to grieve. I mean, my son sat with my mom alone in the living room. Have, so many people had conversations with my mom because you know, they could shut the door and just go hang out with her, you know and oh, it was just incredible. And most you know wisdom traditions say that when people die, they linger. you know, their spirit lingers for several days. you know the it varies from the tradition, but I just feel like, that feels like the right thing, rather than having the body be like in a cooler somewhere. I mean, obviously everybody's got to make their decision and it's not for everybody, but for those of you who are listening and are excited about that, it's possible.
0: I know that you spent your whole medical career as a pathologist, so you wouldn't have to face people who were going through death. And so like to come full circle that what you needed to prepare you to face death was creativity and sort of this, like the music and the 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 clothing and the flowers i mean like it was all about the art
1: yeah yeah, for sure, like all my major, like it feels like all my major initiations in life have been about facing death and uh, and realizing, you know, just realizing deeper things about that and what that means. Um, but definitely, um, I guess one of the big ties for me and the work that I do now is that many of us, well, I'll just speak for myself, like I find myself doing things like, um, or in the past i I'm more aware of it now, but in the past, like I find myself doing things that I feel like are not, um, bringing life to me that are life killing or life sucking, I don't know, like compulsively eating food when I'm not hungry, binge watching things that really don't interest me that much to avoid something. I can think of a million things, shopping, creating chaos by like deciding I have to move or I need to do this or that, or the other thing. And what I've learned is one of the things that gives us life that brings more life to life is being creative, like expressing ourselves. And so many of us avoid it or say we don't have time for it or put it off for retirement or some rainy day when, you know, when, when our ship comes in or when we have more money or when, whatever the story is that we're telling ourselves. But when we allow ourselves to, to express ourselves creatively, it is just, there, there's a wonderful quote from uh, Brenda Eulin, like there is nothing more like enlivening than expressing ourselves creatively and i'm not giving miss eulens quote any kind of
0: <laughs> justice
1: but um yeah i did I you talk about style and fashion like i did a, a thing last year called authentic fashion february which i almost didn't launch it because my perfectionist and my fear of like what will people think sarah author and shamanic healer is doing style and fashion like what is this like this isn't this is off brand or what does she think she's a stylist or, I actually had this conversation with this part of me that was wanting to compulsively eat cereal, say after work, like I'd find myself mowing down a bowl of muesli on a Wednesday afternoon. I wasn't even hungry. (laughs) What I realized is like I was having all these uncomfortable feelings. I didn't want to process like Mm -hmm. the world's on fire and oh my God, I'm not doing enough or whatever it was like just distress and I was eating over it. And so I started to talk to this part of myself using parts work, internal
0: family system parts work, IFS parts work, just Google it. You can learn about it, it's wonderful. I mean, it's basically talking to different parts of yourself that are, in, that are just parts of who you are. Yes, right? yes. And talking directly to that little part of yourself and saying, what do you want, right? Yes,
1: and often these yeah. parts are young, kind of wounded parts of us that are mm-hmm. just trying to protect us from something. And so this part of me was actually like, when I envisioned her, she looked like a woman out of Mad Men. Like she had this cocktail and cookie tray, and She was like, cookies and cocktails any day? Just, she was like, I call her my seductive rationalizer. She wanted to soothe all my pain by, you know, having a glass of wine or having a bowl of muesli. And finally I asked her like, listen, this is kind of wreaking havoc because I want to eat healthfully. I want to feel good. I want to fit in my pants. If I could take care of my feelings and feel them, And you didn't have to deal with that. And you could be free. What would you rather be doing? And she said, well, I want to dress up every day. Now that surprised me. I was shocked. I was like, what? I mean, I I didn't recognize that as a part of myself, but I was like, okay, I'm willing to do that. So I started, so I told my friend Paula who I walk with every day and I said, (laughs) isn't this funny? And she's like, well, I she loves to dress up. She's like, I was like, well maybe we could like text each other pictures to kind of support each other in the morning when you get dressed up cuz I at the time it's all covid and I wasn't dressing up for the office or anybody to see it was just I'm by myself so I'm like I got to show it to somebody cuz like nobody else in my family cares and it was so fun that we finally started this group and I'm telling you that group went so deep it was amazing we did parts work everybody dressed up to please themselves everybody every day um it was so powerful. So I'm glad I, I had the guts to do it. And I can't wait to do it again. Cause it's just, it's dressing up is another form of art. Like how we choose, like today I'm wearing a pinstriped, I'll describe this because everybody's listening like a pinstriped seersucker jacket with a pride bright red with rainbows t-shirt and a rhinestone necklace and big strawberry earrings that match the red t-shirt. And I feel really happy in this outfit, you know, and it doesn't matter if anybody else understands it, like, you know, abstract art, it's just, it's just for me and to have that courage.
0: And yet it's also a really bold statement. Love is love. Like, you know, you feel like I'm wearing this, but I'm wearing it for me. But also I am proclaiming to the world, this is who I am. I'm making my mark and I'm not, I'm not shrinking back in. I actually had a moment like that late in my career where I was like, you know what? I'm done wearing neutrals. Like for me now, neutrals, I don't have neutrals. Neutrals for me is aqua blue, turquoise. Like my neutrals are not neutrals anymore because I can't be scripted anymore. Like it's just, it's a rebellion against that whole fitting into these things and shutting off certain topics and nope, can't do it, you know? And I think if, and I think that that's such a, that's such a, we sabotage ourselves so much. Why are we doing it? Because there's a part of us that's just screaming to be heard, right? So you can either live in a really um, self-destructive way, or you could just go ahead and be a creative person and claim it. And you're going to have a lot more fun that way, I think.
1: Absolutely. And you're going to delight other people, like my friend Paula, who I was just talking about, she was... She walked into school and there were two new secretaries at her school this year. And one, they were both just like, oh, look what you're wearing. You're so cute. And She's a delight because she spends time thinking about how to
0: put together something interesting. And it's it's fun. Like, we love that. So just to sort of wrap this up, what's the biggest surprise for you in this whole journey? Or like working with people around creativity and death, what's the thing that, that surprises you that Maybe you'd like other people to know.
1: Oh my gosh, there's so many things. I think what amazes me is how much potential we have that we just don't even know what lies within us. Like if we never make the space to open that door, so many of us talk about writing a screenplay or a book or creating artwork, whatever it is, making a record but unless we make that space for ourselves and that could be 20 minutes a day. That's, that's why I love the hundred day projects. Cause they're, they're very doable. We won't know. And really, here's how I like to motivate people. Like if you don't open that door and you're not willing to become that conduit, it's kind of like saying no to the universe because the universe or God or whatever we call this deity, this, this, this grandeur that we live in and amongst, it can come through you to create something so magical. But if we shut that down or we just say, I don't have time or I'm not ready, it can't. And I feel like that's sort of saying no to life. And once you start saying yes to it, it's like a lot of doors open and a lot of freedom and you'll find other people that are doing it too. And it's so much fun.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much, Sarah. It's been such a joy to talk with you and I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me, Amy. I'm glad you're having these conversations.
0: Thanks for listening to Courageous Wordsmith. Today's episode featured Sarah Bamford Seidelman. You can read about her and check out her links in the show notes. Backstage at Courageous Wordsmith, my editor is the talented Will Quee, and my social media manager is the fabulous Maddie Kelly. If you enjoy this podcast, you can help it thrive and grow organically. Please subscribe right on this page. Share it with your friends and sign up for True Lines, my letter for real life creatives, so that you can stay current with future episodes. And if you're feeling called to write and you wonder how I can help, you can learn more about me at amyhalberg.com. I'm Amy Hallberg. And until we meet again, travel safely.